One season is over, while another season is about to begin. This is true for teams and individuals. It will be true for all things and all of us. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. What words do you use to refer to what ended yesterday? And what words do you use to refer to what begins tomorrow. I refer to what ended yesterday as the regular season and what begins tomorrow as the postseason. But I have heard through the years that some very good baseball people, announcers, refer to what ended yesterday as the regular year. And that's always made me think, okay, so does that mean what begins tomorrow is the post year? Or do we call it the irregular year? Well, I'm just having some fun. Whatever you call it, We are blessed to have enjoyed the regular season, which ended yesterday, and to have the opportunity to enjoy playoff baseball, which begins tomorrow. We also have been blessed to enjoy the careers and lives of men that came to an end in this past week. Since last week's episode, we have seen the careers of many outstanding players, and it appears at least one manager come to an end. We also learned about two former players, one a Hall of Famer, the other a Hall of Famer for a particular organization, and these two men are no longer with us on this earth. As I speak on Monday morning, we know the 2023 baseball season is over for 18 teams, but tomorrow, 12 other teams begin their quest for a World Series championship. Last week, we learned that Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson died at the age of 86. He is considered by most the greatest defensive third baseman ever to play the game. And he is considered by all that I've ever heard speak about him an even better human being than he was a baseball player. Again, he had a Hall of Fame playing career But he didn't just exit the game. He was involved in the game since his playing days came to an end. One of the things that he did, he did for 33 years. He was the president of the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association. 33 years. That ended only last year, February of 2022. At that time, another Hall of Fame player, another man highly spoken about, by everybody that knows him, Jim Tomey took over that role. So prayers to Brooks Robinson's family, and for Brooks Robinson's family. I shouldn't say two. I don't know Brooks Robinson. I never had the privilege of meeting him. But another death took place yesterday. We actually found out, it was publicly announced late last week, I'm going to say at least Thursday, that Tim Wakefield had brain cancer. Yesterday, he died. This hits closer to home. 
because while I did not have the privilege of even, even meeting Brooks Robinson, I was a teammate with Tim Wakefield. We played together with the Pirates. We attended Bible studies together. And I remember in 1992, I was with the New York Mets. We went into Three Rivers Stadium toward the end of the year. I came into pitch, so now between innings or while we're hitting, I'm in the dugout. And Wake is on the mound. So now I'm, you know what, 90 feet away watching his knuckleball. And I'm thinking, how in the world does anybody hit this thing? It is remarkable. For that matter, how does the catcher catch this thing? Well, that year, very few people did hit it. He was absolutely phenomenal in 1992. But now we go to 1993. I go from the Mets to the Pirates, and I spend about six weeks in AAA with Pittsburgh from about mid-June to the end of July. Well, Wake began the season in Pittsburgh, but then was sent down to AA. So on August 1st, I'm in the big leagues with the Pirates, and then around September 1st, Wake comes back up. That's when I get to meet him. And he really struggled that month until the final two starts. I can't remember if he went the distance or not, but I believe both of those starts were shutouts. And so it looked like, okay, maybe he found it again. Maybe he's on his way back. Well, now the next year, I spend the whole season in Pittsburgh, and Wake is not there at all. Again, I think he was in double-A. Maybe he was in triple-A. I don't remember. And I believe it was that year that he gets released. So I saw Wake at a time in which, baseball-wise, he was really struggling. But I still saw a man who went about things the right way, who always had the right attitude and the right approach. And, of course, after that, he signs with the Red Sox and has a Hall of Fame as it regards the Boston Red Sox career, winning 200 games, almost all of well, not almost all of those, but the vast majority of those, with Boston. So prayers for the Wakefield family as well. And my understanding is that Tim's wife also has cancer. So prayer for the Wakefield family and prayer for Tim's wife. Other men saw, or at least it appears, saw their careers come to an end. Terry Francona will no longer be managing the Cleveland Indians, uh, Guardians, excuse me. That ended yesterday, and it's likely he will not manage again. He is a future Hall of Famer as a manager. We mentioned last week the careers of Adam Wainwright definitely coming to an end, as well as Miguel Cabrera, and almost certainly Joey Votto. We could add to that list Zach Greinke. He may be done as well. One of those, a first ballot Hall of Famer, Miguel Cabrera. And by the way, it was announced, and this is great, it was announced already, I think two or three days ago, that he will be a special assistant for the Tigers starting today, basically. Now, I, I want you, I want to encourage you to watch the videos that are, are, that are out there with all of these men and some more that I'm going to mention because there's some great stuff to watch. Just for instance, Miggy taking his position at first base. And it was like he was 18 years old again, just loving going out there and playing first base. Or the video I saw of Chris Carpenter honoring Adam Wainwright and talking good about Adam Wainwright, which you would expect, but also talking about the impact of something that Adam Wainwright did several years ago. When Carp came into the clubhouse and Waino had left a Bible on his chair, and how that Bible, the Word of God and the grace of God, changed Chris Carpenter's life in this world and in the next world. Great, great stuff. 
Now, we went the whole season, the entire season, without a single managerial change until the final couple of days of the season. First, we found out that the San Francisco Giants will not have Gabe Kapler come back as their manager. Now, he's young. He's had a couple of jobs as managing, of course, most recently with the Giants. Will he get another opportunity to manage a Major League Baseball team? We don't know. And then it was either Saturday or Sunday that Buck Showalter had a press conference and announced that he would not be returning as the manager of the New York Mets. Again, I would encourage you to watch video of that and listen to what he had to say. And for Buck, it was a situation in which the Mets said, here are your options. You can step down or you're going to be replaced. And so Buck stepped down. David Stearns is coming in to run things for the Mets. He is going to bring in the manager that he wants in that position. Will it be Craig Council? We don't know. Right now, Council has more important business at hand, which is managing the Brewers in the postseason. As Solomon made clear in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every matter under heaven. And of course, everything includes everything. It includes living and dying, working and retiring or getting fired, tearing down a roster, which will begin today for many teams, and building one up for those teams who are playoff bound. For this podcast, it means the final episode of the 2023 season. If the Lord wills, in the bullpen, will return for the 2024 baseball season. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time at all, you recognize that each episode ends the same way. But that's a conversation for another day. While I'm not going to address all those conversations for another day today, I do intend to engage in a conversation today that hopefully will help you better understand why such conversations ought to take place. And really, not someday, but really daily. To do so, I want to ask some questions, answer some questions, and give some unsolicited advice. The first question I have for you is this. Is your team in the postseason? A follow-up to that, if not, who are you pulling for to win it all? Now, if you were to ask me the same question, I would say this. Well, I'm a lifelong Tigers fan, but the Tigers obviously aren't in the postseason. Anytime there is a team in the postseason managed by Dusty Baker, and when he manages, his teams are very often in the postseason, I root for that team, as I did last year when the Astros won the World Series. Well, the Astros won yesterday, the Rangers lost yesterday, so the Astros are in. They were in anyway, regardless, at least as a wild card, but they're in as AL West champs. It's their seventh year in a row in the postseason, six of those seven years as division champs. So I will be rooting for Dusty Baker, and that includes the Houston Astros. I also root for teams that I either played for or worked for. I played for the San Francisco Giants, Pittsburgh Pirates, and New York Mets, and I've coached for the New York Mets and the Milwaukee Brewers. 
Well, if you think about that list, only one of those teams is in the postseason, and that's the Milwaukee Brewers. So I will be rooting for them. Now you might be saying, okay, Mark, I have another question for you. What if the World Series is Houston and Milwaukee? Who are you going to root for? Well, I've got to say right now, I can't answer that question. (laughs) If that ends up being the matchup, I'm going to have to choose. That's not going to be easy. Another question that I've been asked that you may have is, what is my goal? Why does in the bullpen with Mark Dewey even exist? And I've mentioned before, and I'll mention it again, I can't compete with the big boys as it regards information or interviews and all of that. What my desire is with this podcast is to to help us all, I hope, understand and watch and enjoy the game of baseball. And that includes on and off the field. That includes all levels of the game to do that from a biblical perspective. And I would say really even first and foremost, I want to encourage us all to be grateful to our triune God for giving us this game and for allowing us to be a part of it. We might be a part of this game as parents, as players, as coaches and managers. We might be others who work in the game, reporters, stadium workers, all of us fans. I want us to be grateful to God for blessing us with this great game. Now, there are two things I'm always navigating around. One is I don't want to make it so that this podcast or the game of baseball is simply a launching pad into preaching a sermon every week. But on the other hand, even when I don't make a direct reference to God or a direct reference to God's word, I hope that each episode is like the book of Ruth that the providence of God is clear, crystal clear for all to see. Now, there are many more questions that I've been asked. I don't have time to get to them today, but there is one question that I'm asked more than any other. I will get to that in a minute, but first I want to do two things. I want to ask you a question, a hypothetical question. Let's say you're watching a Major League Baseball game and your favorite player gets called out on a third strike And this third strike was obviously six inches off the outside of the plate. Your favorite player then draws a line in the opposite batter's box. And of course, because he does so, he's immediately thrown out of the game by the home plate umpire. So here's my question. What if that player turns to the home plate umpire and he says, wait, 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 I had no intention of showing you up in any way. I was simply expressing my emotions, and I was celebrating my tremendous knowledge of the strike zone. So here's the question. Do you think that the home plate umpire would say, oh, oh, okay, never mind. You keep doing you. I I realize above all else, even as an umpire, I need to let the kids play. Yes, that's a hypothetical question, but I trust you recognize, not entirely. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The next thing I want to do is something I normally avoid. I firmly believe that unsolicited advice is very rarely well received. But I'm about to give you some unsolicited advice, and I hope that this time will be an exception to what I see as the rule. And I'm going to try to keep this basic 
and I'm going to try to be constructively encouraging as opposed to engaging in constructive criticism, though I think that's very much needed. But basic advice for coaches, for parents, for players, really of all ages. And of course, how you apply this would look different depending upon whether it's a 10-year-old in Little League or a 27-year-old in the big leagues. But here's what I want to say first and foremost of all, at any level, as a parent, as a coach, stress that this is not about you. It's about the team. It's about others. And if you are a Christian, and in particular when you have Christian players, stress it's not about you. It's far more about others in the team than you, but most of all, it's about Jesus. And you do not want to act in any manner that says, look at me, look at me, look at me. But you are to have an approach, you are to have an attitude, you are to have actions that actually encourage people to look to and at Jesus Christ. Also, at any level, regardless of the ability of any player, stress two things that every single person is able to do and ought to do. Pay attention and hustle. Whatever your ability, that will increase your contribution to the team. That will make the team better. That is something everybody can do. Pay attention and hustle. Also, and always and never, actually two, always pursue excellence. Never make excuses. A second one, Never assume, always anticipate. I'll give just one example as it regards playing the game. You've got a sure single base hit into left field. Never assume first base, always anticipate second base. Whether you're a parent dealing with your sons or a coach dealing maybe with your son, but somebody's sons, demand of your players commitment responsibility, accountability, and consequences. And if your parents are doing that for you and of you, or your coach is, embrace it and thank them. Because these things are vitally important, not just to the game of baseball, but to all of life. And from what I have seen at all levels of the game, and really in all spheres of life, so well beyond the game, these things are lacking. That's bad for baseball. It's bad in life. And it's bad in what matters most, our relationship with God. Because there is a required commitment. There are responsibilities. There is accountability. And consequences flow from our attitudes and actions. Now, a few things about developing baseball players, developing skills. Let's start with the younger ages. And we'll say 12 and under. So in other words, they're on the smaller field. There are many things that could be said, but let me just say a couple of them. Let them enjoy the game. And let them play as many positions in the game and as many sports in the year as is reasonable. Here's something else for the younger players. Really for all, but start at the young age. Encourage them to be aggressive, in particular at the plate when they're batting. I see so much passivity in boys on a baseball field, especially in the batter's box. That is not good, and it leads to no good. Because passive 10-year-olds 
turn into passive 20 and 30 and 40 year olds. Teach them at that level, and again, this will increase, but the basics of the game, the basics of hitting and fielding and base running and pitching and the like, but don't micromanage everything. Don't micromanage in particular their swing or their delivery if they're on the mound. Now, when we get to what I call big boy baseball, which means we're now on the full-size field, the expectations ought to be ratcheted up. How we teach the game and what we teach about the game and how it ought to be played ought to be ratcheted up. Working more diligently on the fundamentals ought to take place. Stressing the first three letters of the word fundamentals, that it ought to be fun. Now for me, I loved fundamentals. They were fun. But even if you have a player that doesn't find so much enjoyment in doing them, teach them that it's fun because this helps us win baseball games. And that is the objective of the game, to win. Now, not win at all costs, not win at the cost of developing players, not win at the cost of potentially putting somebody in harm's way and injury, not in the cost of developing players, but it is the objective of the game. I've told players of all ages, I've played from Little League to the Major Leagues, and here's what I have found. Winning is more fun, more enjoyable than losing. But losing is more enjoyable than not playing the game. Here's other advice, especially for amateur players or amateur parents. Often what a player needs more than lessons from a pitching guy like me or some hitting guy is the ability to move well. And so your time, your effort, your research, even your money might be far better spent seeking out somebody who can help your son move better because that is going to increase their ability to pitch or hit or field. I said for years and years and years to pitchers, the best pitchers are three-dimensional pitchers. And I said by that, I meant back to front, in other words, hard and soft, out to in, and down to up. And several years ago, I realized that's true. But for a pitcher to be as good as he can be as a three-dimensional pitcher, he has to be able to move well in three dimensions. In the frontal plane, the sagittal plane, and the transverse plane. Another encouragement, throw more, pitch less. When I say pitch less, I don't mean necessarily pitch counts or innings limits and those things, though those are good and appropriate in particular circumstances. What I mean is this. I see, again, at the amateur level and when I was in pro ball, not enough throwing, not enough of a higher volume at a lower intensity, and therefore there's a lot of high-intensity pitches without that foundation of the volume at a lower intensity. So those are a few things. Many, many more we could talk about, but we just don't have the time. But I want to come back to the one question that I am asked more than any other, by far more than any other. And the question is this, would you like to get back into professional baseball? Well, the short answer is yes. The slightly longer answer is yes, but humanly speaking, I have no chance. I say humanly speaking because God is sovereign. I could end this podcast, walk upstairs, and have a text or a phone call waiting and somebody wants to hire me. I don't see it happening. Humanly speaking, I have 
no chance. Now, a much longer but still condensed explanation is coming your way. So a year ago, some friends of mine encouraged me to really pursue getting back in the game. And I did so. I contacted 26 of the 30 teams. And you might say, well, why not four? Well, one of the teams, and I think it was the Yankees, I couldn't get the necessary contact information. One of the teams was the Brewers. Well, I worked for them for eight years. They said, you know, we don't want you anymore. I figured there's no sense contacting them. And then the two other teams were the Bay Area teams. And that's because, again, from my perspective, humanly speaking, I couldn't get a job vacuuming the carpet in spring training complexes for either of those teams without causing some kind of ruckus. Well, as I did this, there was some traction with a couple of teams and including an interview with one team, but nothing came of it. And so you might be asking, as a matter of fact, many people do, why? Is it about data and analytics? No, it isn't, or at least it shouldn't be. I've given my view. My view is data and analytics are very valuable, but they're not infallible. Data and analytics are very valuable, but they're not more valuable than the person I'm trying to help with data and analytics. I would say that sums up the view that I've learned this year is held by Joe Madden, who is big into data and analytics. I'd love it, but I know it's not infallible. And so I will ask why about just the details, just the information. But I will also ask why about taking that information, even if it's good, accurate, right, the why of, or maybe more accurately, the how of, okay, now how do I use this with this particular player? We all agree this particular player, in my case it would be a pitcher, would benefit. Great. How is it that we benefit this particular pitcher with this information? So I don't think that should be the issue. Maybe it's my old age. Maybe I'm not very good at what I do. It could be old age. I'm going to be 60 here in about three months. But there are still plenty of people that are 60 or over in the game. Maybe it's that I'm just not very good at what I did. That could be the case. But that's not the feedback that I've received. So if you're really asking me why, and and i got to come down somewhere, this is what I'm convinced of. Fundamentally, that I can't pass an HR exam. And that's because I believe God and I believe His Word. I seek to live it out and I seek to declare it. I believe things like God made man male and female. That's very binary. It's also very much reality. I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Whatever anything else might be called, it isn't marriage. I believe sexual immorality is anything outside this covenantal relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. Those are the kind of things that don't go over well. I remember having a conversation in the coach's room several years ago, and again, talking about the hypothetical fact that maybe a reporter comes to me and says, can you work with a gay person? And this conversation came up, because I was traveling, and I was in Arizona, and we were sitting in the coach's room, and somebody from the Brewers came in and said, hey, heads up, guys, tonight in Helena, Montana, David Denson is going to publicly announce that he is gay. And so we were talking about, you know, what if that question were asked of us? And I said, well, my answer would be yes. Would be this. Well, of course I can. I've worked with adulterers and fornicators. 
Now, I guarantee you this, if I gave that answer, the correspondence I would receive would not be kind, and it would not come from adulterers and fornicators. I also believe that males should not be allowed to compete against females in organized sports. I believe it is wicked to mutilate children by hormone treatments and cutting off body parts. Now, here's the thing. All of these things are very clearly scriptural. But until recently, even the unbelievers would have said, well, of course. Now, understand something. I didn't go around the clubhouse or in the coach's room shouting these things out, telling people people turn or burn or whatever. But I did discuss them out loud. Sometimes I discuss them with people that believe the same, same things that I believe. Sometimes with people that didn't. But people know where I stand on these kind of issues. They've heard conversations that I've had around other people and things that I say someplace like here, publicly in this podcast. Now, I've known for many years that what happened with me in San Francisco in 1996 meant I was never going to be a Major League Baseball coach. I I knew that, and that was okay. It doesn't matter to me what level I enjoy working with the pitchers. But I found out about a year and a half ago that what happened in 1996 prevented me from getting a coaching job at the collegiate level. Not just a college, but a Christian college. Not just a Christian college, but a Presbyterian college. I was ordained in a Presbyterian denomination. Another story. Back in January of this year, Major League Baseball trade rumors put out notice out that they wanted to do interviews with former Major League Baseball players. I saw that and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to send them anything because they're not about to do that. Well, then a friend sent it to me and said, hey, you should contact them. So I did. I sent an email and I got an email back. Great. It's going to be a few months. We got a a lot of people lined up, but we'll get back to you. Well, a few months passed and the interview stopped and I never received another email. Can't guarantee why, but I can guess. A month ago, a person who formerly worked in Major League Baseball, a person who I knew and he knows me, we've had a conversation in the past walking into a stadium, And I followed him on what was Twitter, which is now X. And at the end of August, he reposted a video that somebody else put on. It was a video of President Joe Biden and his wife at a Washington, D.C. school. And it showed them shaking hands as teachers and students were coming into the school. And the person who posted this video said, hey, this is a cool thing for these kids. And then he asked, what would you do if the Biden showed up at your kid's school? How would you react? How would you hope they would react? Well, the person I know put that on and then added these words. Let me know next time Benedict Donald does a school visit. Actually, has he ever done one? Now, of course, Benedict Donald refers to Donald Trump. And so he posted this, and I responded in this way. I wonder if he, referring to Biden, I wonder if he is congratulating them for making it out of their mother's womb without being torn apart limb by limb. You know, the kind of murder he supports, encourages, and celebrates. And for those comments, I was promptly blocked. And really, I believe this gets to the heart of the matter. Of all the things that I've talked about, I don't think any single one of them really is the reason. But humanly speaking, I believe I have no chance to return to professional baseball because of the added weight of all of these things, but in particular, this 
topic, abortion. The belief that I have on this probably outweighs all the others as it regards my persona non grata in baseball. It's my view of abortion, that it is murder, that babies are murdered in the place that they ought to be the safest, in their own mother's womb, and that it is a child from conception and should be protected by law, that doctors and mothers who voluntarily kill these children should be punished for murder. Now, don't misunderstand why I am bringing all this up. First of all, remember this. I'm answering the question I get more than any other, and I'm doing so as accurately and honestly as I am able. I'm a fallible human being. I could be wrong, but that's my take. But secondly, understand I'm not searching for sympathy. Though I would love to be in professional baseball, I believe it's where my skill, my gifts, it's where I thrive. I'm not searching for sympathy. I am trying to let you know that holding such beliefs, all of which are clearly taught in the Bible, can cost not only me a career, but others as well. That it could cost you. I've mentioned it before, and I will say it again. I have seen and heard almost nothing from Christians in professional baseball about abortion. Why? Also, I've seen and heard far less than ought to be the case from professing Christians in every sphere of life. Why? In reading and meditating on God's holy word, the conclusion I cannot help but draw is that a whole lot of us love self far more than God and far more than our neighbor. And a whole lot of us fear men more than King Jesus, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.